A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. Beef on dairy. It's something that farmers have been interested in for a few years now, and it's only gaining momentum. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report, here with Tom Earlywine. He jokes that feeding calves was his first job as a little boy on the farm, and he continues to do that years later as Director of Nutritional Services with Purina Feed. Tom tells me that the industry is in a critical time right now where it needs to be providing the best animals in order to secure a market before the beef herd comes back. He tells me when he started seeing the beef on dairy cross phenomenon kick into high gear and how nutrition plays a role in providing a quality animal. Yeah, about six, seven years ago, there was the first inklings of it. And actually, it was probably 10 years ago. It was the first time I heard of one dairy producer that started thinking about, okay, they have these genomics tests we can run on cows and we can start to pick out which cows are the best. And, and the rest of them, we don't need to breed to. Uh, we get enough heifers. We are doing a good job growing our heifers. Can we, can we make more value out of this male animal that comes that comes out and so that was the first producer I'd ever actually heard that talked about it but as I really got into the industry about five to six years ago when people started do, doing more genomics testing but also just recognizing the value of of the beef cross animal because it's no longer docked because it's a Holstein it's a, got a got a dark hide and, and it's it's got some beef genetics and so there's some efficiency and and there is also hybrid vigor as you go into the the cross with, between beef and, and dairy um, but that's really about six years ago when it started to gain more traction and it really has gone crazy in the last two or three years once people recognized that the beef cow calf herd was down because of recent droughts and so with the beef cow calf herd bearing down the beef supply was down so what can we do to provide more beef and better beef not only more but better beef it was about 19 percent of the market was dairy animals were provided for beef Today, it's closer to 23% because of just the reduction in in cow-calf numbers, but also because of this increase with beef crosses. And do you think that's that's going to continue for like well into the future, or is this just a cure for low milk prices, or just taking advantage of the the beef market? The next two two years will be the kind of the, set the stage, so to speak, for the future. And the reason for that is simply because the next two to three years, the cow-calf herd will gradually rebuild. And so the beef cow-calf guys can, will be able to provide more beef in the next two to three years. What's really why this is such a key, crucial point in time right now is because there is such high demand, but also we're setting ourselves up for or either success once that cow-calf herd comes back as dairy producers and, and providing some of the beef market and can maintaining part of that, or for failure from the standpoint we didn't provide the proper animal, didn't provide the best animal that they, they, they could be provided in the marketplace. And Purina has been on top of the trend since you first uh, saw it take off about five or six years ago. Tell me about the research you're putting in to crossbred beef on dairy in regards to nutrition. About six, five, six years ago, we started buying more and more of the crossbreds, and now today, most everything we do research on is crossbred dairy dairy animals. And the uh, 
in the process of doing that, we got a chance to not only compare them to the Holstein, straight Holstein steers, but also compare between breeds and beef animals as well. And then, of course, do our nutrition research. And what we found, and this is the most exciting part about it, was over time as we did it, that there were a number of things that uh, these animals responded really well to. They're really good at growing muscle. And so in spite of their Holstein genetics or their Jersey genetics, once you breed them to a a beef breed, the beef breed genetics start to take over and really help produce a lot of muscle if you allow them to get to that potential. And so what we found in the calves is that if you fed them enough nutrition, the traditional dairy Holstein uh, steer calf was fed two quarts twice a day. If you fed them at least three quarts twice a day, for example, to start with, and if that at least had 27% protein in that, that three quarts twice a day, more like mom's milk, some of those things, that those animals will respond with a tremendous amount of muscle growth to the point where we've even taken ultrasounds of these babies and found that they actually started already started out with a bigger ribeye area because we provided them more nutrition they also start out with a healthier gut because because we provided them with more nutrition Um, but the hybrid vigor in these calves plus combined with their beef genetics if you allow them to grow to their potential in other words provide enough protein and energy they really perform have you narrowed down the critical stage of of when these nutrients are their most vital yeah, it, it, the neat thing is, is the beef guys, I always love to say this just to, to compliment the beef folks side of things, is they recognized a long time ago that there's fetal imprinting. What does that mean? That means that what they do with that calf developing in the cow, while it's still in the cow, there are some things that they can do feeding-wise and nutrition-wise, management-wise, that will actually affect that calf. And if you think about it, the plasticity, so to speak, the ability to affect that young animal is the greatest in, in utero. And then after it's born, it's still high. You can still influence it. And every day after it's born, it, it gradually decreases to the point, usually about puberty, you're, you're getting to the point where it's almost too late. It's hard to change a lot of things in those animals at that point. And so the younger the calf, so you think about the newborn, colostrum and colostrum management, obviously doing the best job you can with a newborn there. And then, and, and then, but then after that, and this is a big difference in the dairy model of raising calves versus the way a beef calf would be raised. It'd be raised on mom, right? And so it's going to drink maybe three gallons a day. Typically, they've actually research proven that, that they'll drink three gallons a day. We typically fed these dairy calves a gallon or a gallon and a half. Um, so not enough. So that was part of it. And then the beef calf would normally be weaned at four to six months of age. We typically wean at two months of age, thereabouts. So about half the time on milk as well. And so we have to work hard to make up for those challenges. And one of them is easy. You just feed them better. Um, But the other one is the weaning age. And so giving them enough time through weaning, allowing the gut to develop, allowing the immune system to develop, we can do it in the young calf. The longer you wait to try to do it and say, oh, I'll make up for it later, it's impossible on a young calf to do that. They will already be set at that point. And they found the same thing is true with with heifers, that if we don't allow for maximum mammary development at an early age, we will be behind the eight ball. We will never get that animal to the same level that it was before. And feedlots in particular are looking for a very feed-efficient animal. And the best way we can create the most feed-efficient animal is to start earlier in life. The earlier in life you can change things and influence and and have these improvements, have proper nutrition, the proper management of those calves, they will perform better later. And if we want to maintain our 
beef market of raising these crossbreds, we need to provide the best animal to that feedlot today so that they don't get don't lose that market when the beef herd comes back. So, Tom, these are some of the elements that Purina has discovered during their research project. Are you still looking for some things? I mean, is this work continuing? Are there still questions that are unanswered that you're looking to figure out? Definitely. There there are a number of questions we're looking to answer, and we're always making improvements in it. We've developed a milk replacer specifically for these crossbreds, and and guess what our research is on today? The next version of that milk replacer, and it's called Prime Start. And our research today is about getting to the next level with that that milk replacer. We know it works really well, but we know that, for example, the amino acid content of those milk replacers or just the total plane of nutrition provided those milk replacers plus um, we need to follow all of these animals all the way out to slaughter because that's the end market, right? That's what counts. And so if we can change some things today in our milk replacer, that will influence that, that carcass, that carcass composition. Our preliminary research so far shows that we can. Now can we do even better? Can we influence it but influence it even more? And to the point where we consistently raise an animal that maybe has fewer liver abscesses through the feedlot, maybe consistently uh, will end up with uh, um, a quicker time to slaughter, but a higher quality grade, more marbling, um, a better uh, ribeye shape, for example. All those things are critical factors in the meat market. Tom, are producers still finding a higher value for a dairy beef cross, even though we're experiencing an economy where input costs are high? Does that interest continue even though feed costs are rising, fuel costs are rising? Yes, definitely. It's it's continued to jump partly because they they recognize the value stream that they have in in that side of the business. But the other reason that people are making the investment, not only because the calf is more valuable than it ever was, they're making an investment in that calf now that maybe they didn't make before, but also because the once you make that investment, what we're finding is that cost per pound of gain, which is really your metric when it comes to, because gain is everything with beef, right? Your cost cost per pound of gain actually goes down because now your your maintenance costs are covered and anything you're adding to it is is going in your pocket so to speak in terms of gain and and so as before we were barely feeding them past maintenance levels of nutrition now we're getting something for that level of nutrition for that investment even if feed costs are up the that's all the more reason you want to get more out of every pound of feed that goes into that animal. So as we step up the planes of nutrition, you do actually lower your cost per pound to gain. Tom Early, wine along with us, Director of Nutritional Services with Purina Feed. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.